Hi everyone, this is Jean-Marc. I am the creator of DataMesh, uh, the founder of Next Data. We are reimagining what data sharing could look like. We are growing our team rapidly and we need you. If you are a distributed systems engineer, if you're a product manager or designer of a large-scale PaaS SaaS infrastructure, please check out our page at nextdata.com and look at our open roles. We'd love to hear from you. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left DataStacks. You know, thanks for all their help in ha- founding things. But I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Making federated data governance approachable and effective. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Kinda Elmari, PhD, who's a director of data governance at Prima. To be clear, though, she was only representing her own views on the episode. So some key takeaways or thoughts specifically from Kinda's point of view. Number one, always be assessing data literacy gaps and work to address them. Gaps don't have to be a bad thing. They're a chance for your people to grow, but ignore them at your own peril. Number two, a key aspect of your job as someone on the central governance team or anyone managing a governance function or anything like that is to reduce friction, not add overhead. It can be hard to do that at the start of a data mesh journey or anything like that, but it should be a North Star focus. Number three, the phrase data governance still has a stigma for many people from what often happens with a central-only approach to governance, processes and rules divorced from the actual business processes and the data which then creates bottlenecks and headaches. Number four, the federation of governance in data mesh helps address the bottlenecks, but it introduces a new layer of complexity 
which can also cause some fear. Number five, potentially controversial one. If you are asking people to take on ownership of data, you must make sure their line of business or their part of the organization has the actual capabilities to do so. Otherwise, they will greatly struggle to own and are likely to push back much more. Number six, don't talk about governance in the weeds to your general day-to-day line of business people. You know, that, those kind of toolbox talks, the policies and the standards. Focus on what you are trying to achieve with governance and then lean back on the toolbox if you need to explain the how. But many people don't care about the how. Number seven, there's a sliding scale of how much is federated versus centralized on a domain capability and maturity level when data mesh. You don't just push all responsibilities onto each domain at the start. It's a gradual process to find the right balance. Number eight, when you find a domain that has skill gaps necessary to overcome, set up a roadmap and have as positive of a conversation as possible to start along that roadmap. It's not what they lack, but where they'll grow. Number nine, I think this one is controversial. Where possible, get rid of the central data governance committee. Collaboration is more key than trying to keep every stakeholder across the organization informed and involved in most decisions. And why I think this is controversial is that, you know, a lot of people are still saying there should be some kind of central data governance committee. They're just no longer a decision-making committee. And it was, it really felt like Kendu was saying, you don't even need one at all. Number 10, a potentially controversial one, data governance people should stop thinking about federation as losing control. It's about enabling the decisions to be made by those that can best make them. That way, the governance team gets to focus on the guardrails, the standards, the blueprints, right? The things that make stuff easier for everyone, the friction reducers. Number 11, no one is saying hand over control of very sensitive decisions without reason. It's about making sure the data decisions can be made so when there is an important sensitive decision to be made, that's where the central team can step in to assist. Number 12, when trying to get teams to take ownership of their data, there isn't a silver bullet. Every discussion and domain is different, but start with a clear understanding of what ownership means and then start the discussion with what will you do to make them, that domain, that line of business capable and ease the burden of ownership. Just dumping responsibilities in their lap won't go well. Number 13, data culture is an often overlooked aspect of data governance, but it provides you your scale. Getting people to evangelize and share what's working instead of all knowledge dissemination coming from a central team and training is how you get us, you get to scale. Number 14, it's not exactly the data governance team's role to find the right reporting structure and career management aspects of a data mesh implementation, but the team can help by creating good spaces for people to share and communicate to create a sense of camaraderie so that people are feeling like they can actually communicate with other people that are similar in their role, which is really important in a decentralized kind of approach. Number 15, Centralized capabilities and coordination of certain aspects are crucial to doing data mesh right. You want to decentralize the decisions and the application of those decisions, but centralize the enablement. 
a core central data team is pretty important to making that happen. Finally, number 16, potentially controversial one, interoperability between data products is important, but interoperability often can get in the way of delivering data products. Don't focus as much on interoperability as you probably think. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Kinda Elmari here, who's the Director of Data Governance at Prima. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different things around data governance. Um, uh, Kinda was at uh, HelloFresh previously, working in their um, data governance side as well. And so has seen kind of the initial journey and is kind of, you know, working with Prima to do uh, whether it's data mesh or not. We, we kind of talked about that kind of didn't, but um, that doesn't really matter to me. I think the idea of like, how do we actually change governance? How do we make this not scary? How do we change the perception of governance? How do we get governance people comfortable with handing over control where, you know, it's not you're going to get in trouble if somebody violates the things, if you set things up rightly and you give them the the autonomy, then they also have the kind of um, the consequences of of things like that, and and just creating a good culture around governance where everybody is leaned in and, and understands that. So I'm very excited to talk about this. I know um, governance is such a massive topic, so it's uh, we can always go into eight million different directions. So I'm I'm excited to kind of jump into that. But before we get into the conversation, Kinda, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Scott, for inviting me. Pretty excited to to be on the podcast and to jump in and have a nice discussion about governance. As you've pointed out, I'm uh, leading now the governance program at Prima. And I've. Uh, this would be actually the second time that I'm witnessing a transformation, this shift of paradigm to data mesh. And in both of these uh, transformations, well, the second one being just now starting, as I've recently just joined Prima, uh, but in both of these transformations, I've taken on the role of governance, on pushing a federated uh, governance or collaborative approach. And one of the things that interested me at Prima was that finally I'm at an industry that where data is a first-class citizen because the actual product that they sell at the end. So it's an insurance tech company. It's the largest auto uh, insurance, uh, motor insurance company in Italy. And they managed to do that uh, very, in a very rapid uh, way in Italy, only within five years, because they were focusing on tech and on data. Because if you think they don't actually sell a household item, they sell a policy. And the policies, it's basically a price tag that you put on uh depending on you know the the risk assessment that you do on a customer and so getting that price right depends on the underlying data and the machine learning models that you have behind so data becomes your first class citizen so i'm pretty excited to 
be on this data mesh journey and to see this transformation and um, yeah, trying to see how uh, governance can uh, pitch in there as you know a fourth principle of the data mesh. Yeah, well, and, and you know, governance has historically been uh, a very scary phrase. So I'd love to hear how you are, are. Are you calling it something differently? Are you just going in with a very different aspect? Like, are you? How are you making it so that like? Initially, it's less scary for folks when they start to hear, oh, no, here comes the, the governance folks. They're, they've got the gates that they're keeping. They've got, you know, all these things that I have to comply with. But, uh, you know, they only come in at the end and they don't understand what we're doing. Like, how are you integrating in that that concept to make it so that it's whether and whether it's scary or it's just frustrating, like historically? So, like, how are you how are you working to change that perception? How'd you do that at HelloFresh? How are you working on doing that at pre? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's brilliant. Let's start off and address the, basically the elephant in the room, right? And not beat around the bush. Data governance do come with its fair share of stigma. And the reason, one of, or one of the reasons for that, um, I believe, is you have you used to have the central data governance committee, right? And you had the data governance people sitting there. You had representative of the main stakeholders that uh, you had. And, you know, whatever standards, guardrails, uh, policies that you were pushing out, at the end of the day, they were still decoupled more or less from the business size, from the people who are actually touching the data and their actual pain points that they're having, which is a little bit similar to what we have with the central data teams or engineering teams when they were working with the data warehouse monolith, right? Um they did not have the domain knowledge that people lying within the business closest to the data had. And so these decoupling introduced this problem and bottleneck. And this is exactly what made me super excited with the data mesh, right? Because it brings with it this inherent federation and responsibility shift. And I think to get rid of the stigma around governance, we can actually kind of piggyback on data mesh and uh, take our own narrative and rewrite it and go towards a more collaborative approach, a more federated approach. Well, obviously, this federation that comes with data mesh adds a whole layer of complexity. And I'm pretty sure um, if anyone is interested with data governance and within data mesh, they've probably heard that discussion uh, more than once and what kind of complexities comes with that. But I think what is often understated and a lot of people do not talk about is actually the positive side of it. And this is has to do as well with this stigma. Um, so a lot of the, the things that used to be very difficult from a governance perspective are actually much easier now having the data mesh in place. And by having the data mesh in place, I mean when you are an organization or company that have decided to go down that road. Because guess what? You're not going to be the only one going and pushing for governance. You're going to have a lot of people more or less having the same mindset and they're all running towards the same direction. I'll give you an example. So one of the core efforts uh, that you would want to push in governance is ownership. We were looking at data assets and we wanted to make sure that if you have a question, you know exactly who to contact. And, you know, it depends on everyone's 
set of mind and how they approach that, who they define as an owner, my approach was always, you know, go to the business owner because uh, these are the people who are producing the data. They have the domain knowledge. They understand the underlying concepts and it makes perfect sense. But these discussions were extremely difficult, right? You, you have to uh, go to, to, to a business leader and sit down and try to explain why they should be taking over ownership and responsibility. So these discussions were played with inhibitions. What does it mean to have this ownership? Um, what about all these pipelines that are going to be coming to me? Uh, we don't have the capabilities. And so when you're actually shifting towards the data mesh, these discussions become easier, right? Because A, you do not need to allocate resourcing uh, anymore. I mean, capabilities, right? Everyone knows now, more or less, if you want to have a successful um, transformation, you need to have the right capabilities within the domains, right? You would need embedded uh, engineering. You would need a data product owner. And these were things that were not on the table back then. And so from a data governance perspective, if you wanted to push this ownership exercise and effort, you had to make sure that you acquired that on your own. And so um, what data mesh brings along with it, from my perspective, and I always like to look at the full uh the, the, the full part of the uh, of the of the um, of the glass we're all running towards the same direction and I think um it would be very smart move to you know go with that flow and try and make it work for governance um this federation is going to break down these rigid constructs and committees that were created in the past and turn it into a more collaborative and more open approach so when you're actually going and, and doing this when you're implementing. I've got lots of, of additional follow-ups, but I, I, I want to dig in a little bit on, did you see people's perception of data governance change quickly or not? Because I want to prepare other people that are kind of early in their journey and thinking about data governance. You're at the second time of being <laughs> you know, early in your journey. So like, do you have any concrete advice on the actual perception change, right? Like it has been scary. Have you found anything that's really worked? Is it just the one-on-one -on -one conversations? Is it, you know, sharing your vision of what governance looks like and how it all works together? Like how, because governance again has been this thing that's been just a frustration point for, for people and it hasn't been a value add as much as a, a blocking point historically. Mm -hmm. I think one of the pitfalls, um, and it's also one of my pitfalls, and I had to learn it the hard way, is the way we communicate data governance. So a lot of times we really get into the specifics and the details and kind of our toolbox. So we present data governance as a framework and we're pushing out policies and standards and, and whatnot, right? Instead of actually focusing on what is the value, what is the benefit that you're getting out of all of that? Because there's no argument that there's going to be some extra work that has to be done, but you have to make sure that the people understand why they need to make that effort and what actual benefit it brings down the, the line, right? So I'll give you an example. If we're looking at wanting to make sure that our data is discoverable, right? Um, if you go about 
and start communicating it in a, in a way where you say, you know what, we're going to have a data catalog. And this is the standard way that you enrich the data. These are the type of metadata that you need to add. We need to assign an owner here. And you know what? There's a different levels of certification levels depending on uh, different um, thresholds that you achieved in terms of the standards that we're pushing out. It sounds tedious. It's a huge overhead, right? It's a lot of effort that needs to be done. That's everything that they hear. They hear that they need to document and they need to reach out different certification levels. And, you know, it, it just becomes this whole layer of overhead. Instead of that, what I found to work much better and people are much more receptive is um, start off by having conversations, understand the pain points, and then you will find buckets or different focus areas that actually accumulate around these and start introducing your governance program and your vision based on these benefits that are coming. So let's take that data discoverability example again. It's not going to be, this is what we're doing and this is how we're doing it. It's going to be, we want to make the data discoverable. So my job uh, from the governance side is to make sure that you can find the data that you want very quickly, that you know who to contact when you have a question. And you know what? If you find the data, you can quickly find out if it actually fits your use case. Because I know a lot of the times you find the data, but maybe you do not know if it fits the use case or not. So it's about kind of shifting the way we communicate and really focusing it on um, the the benefit that is coming out. Because and this is what anyone who's working within data initiatives um, probably realized sooner or later is that you need the people on your side. They'll either be enablers or blockers. So make sure that they are kind of the focus and then they will be there with you, right? And, and make sure you're open for suggestions. You have this feedback loop. I like personally to keep my approach as collaborative as possible. Now, obviously, when you go into areas of privacy and compliance with GDPR, there's a little bit of little leeway there for collaboration. But in other efforts, try and get the people as involved as possible. Make them part of the solution. Yeah, I think, well, I think you, you said there of kind of listen first. And then the second is to um, not talk about, I mean, you do always have to share with people what changes for them. But it doesn't always have to be about you're going to have to do all these things. It's like these things, you know, here's here's the value of what what ends up coming out of this. These things have to get done. Here's how we're supporting you in doing those things, right? Where we say, okay, historically, whenever we've told you these things have to be done, it's been a manual process. If we don't make it, if we make it overly manual, we have failed. That is our on our side to make this easy and to make this kind of a, a simple flow. And when things are complicated, we have conversations. But when things aren't, you just get to, to check your boxes and move on, right? Like, hey, does this have any PII in this data product? No. Okay. Boom. You don't have to go through the PII certification process or the, you know, anything like that. Um, Hadidas uh, in one of their blog posts talked about all of their columns by default are marked as PII. So every data product owner feels comfortable that they didn't maybe miss one. 
And so then, you know, it's like, oh, okay, I've got all of the the ones that are PII marked, but oh, uh, timestamp is not PII. Oh, sorry, I just missed that. You know, I mean, you want to have somebody checking and things like that, but that, you know, when you're doing that kind of initial kind of MVP back and forth with your consumer, it's, it's, so I, I like a lot of what, what you were saying um, about just connecting to people one-on-one, it can hit some scalability challenges. And that's where you start to go, okay, do I communicate at the persona level and try and, and broaden that out? So if you want to dig into that, that, that's great. But the other thing that I wanted to dig into was you said two things that sound like they're, um, you know, opposites, but I don't think are, but you said, you know, federation adds a whole layer of complexity, but some things, a lot of things are easier when you do it this way. So I'd love to hear about that, like, cause I want people to go in with eyes wide open, right? Of what are the things that, that where it adds complexity, but also where does it make things easier? Mm-hmm. So let's, let's take the, the federation, uh, the federation point, and maybe we'll circle back to the, uh, getting the inputs, uh, at some point later on. So like I said, at its core, data mesh comes with this inherent federation. So I see data governance role. I think this is also what Jamak said um, earlier on the days that governance is there to act as an equalizer or a counterbalance for this federation. So we want to make sure on the one hand that the federation is retained while we are uh, making sure that the data is discoverable, while we're making sure that it's trustworthy and interoperable, and you know uh, all of these uh, goals that we have. Um, but the the difficulty here is striking this balance, right? Because it's very difficult. How how federation versus decentralization, right? Because this is highly dependent on the capability composition that you have within the domains, as well as on the maturity level, um, right? So the difficulty here becomes, okay, maybe one way to go at it is to look at it and see and trying to get a, a grasp of what kind of entry level you have there. What is kind of the thinnest slice of responsibility that you could push out to the domains um, who are getting these responsibility, right? Um so I'll give you an example. Let's uh, the data catalog seems to be my favorite example today. So uh, and a very easy thing that you could expect everyone to be able to do, and you could federate this responsibility is you know what document your data products at the metadata. This shouldn't require any capabilities, or you know, it, yeah, should be doable. On the other hand, if you are looking into increasing the trustworthiness of your data and you're looking at your data quality and you want to start having data quality checks in place. Now, this is something that not all the domains and teams might be able to do because they are missing engineer capabilities, right? And I think I I heard this in one of your podcasts and I really love this analogy and use it as well. It's that kind of have this slider um, that between the federation and the centralization and you need to see how it works. Um, some teams are going to be more mature and have these capabilities and they can take uh, more responsibilities, whereas other teams still need to, you know, there's a bit of a, a gap in the data that you see that has to be bridged. There are some missing capabilities that have to be embedded. And so 
different domains might be moving at different paces, but always in the same direction. And governance is there to push out as much responsibility as possible, so long as these domains are capable of handling that. And in areas and, and in domains where things are still not as mature, give the needed support. Yeah, and, and I think that's... So I'm I'm going to guess that that was Sarita Back's episode um, from J.P. Morgan Chase because she was talking a lot about that. But I think this is the thing with um, data mesh in general is that every organization is different for every kind of decision as to where things fall on that slider because uh, of decentralization versus centralization and, and these different aspects and that that evolves over time. Like you said, as a domain gets more mature relative to their data governance, they can start to take on more and more. So I, I, I really like that because um, you, but you you also, well, the reason why I really like that is because it does let you be scalable in that here are the things we need to to accomplish for a domain with this type of use case. And okay, then we just make the decision as to somebody, is somebody ready for those, you know, five things, 10 things, whatever. Um, but one other thing that I would ask you about is, is because I have my own view on this, but I want to hear uh, kind of what you're thinking is what happens when a domain isn't ready for a use case. Um, to me, that's just, that's totally okay. That's totally normal where you're like, you're not mature enough to handle this. And that's a, a reasonable conversation to have where we just go like, we, we can't spend enough time on this or you're not at a level right now where that's viable or our platform isn't at a level where that's viable. So you're going to have to take on way too much manual work. So we don't think you should. Like, how do you have that conversation with, with people um, or, or do you kind of let them sink or swim? Like, how, how do you think about that? Of If they want to kind of go too far out on the on the branch, then they're, they suffer the consequences of it. Like, how do you have that kind of balance of... of <laughs> Controlling them and saying, don't do this versus just kind of giving them advice and say, please don't do this. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think I would I would be somewhere in the middle. First of all, be very transparent with them, right? And not only tell them that they're not ready, but tell them, uh, so not give that negative message, but pave the way and make sure that I can enable them and bridge these these gaps. So one thing that I always like to start off when I'm pushing for data governance is having this bottom-up approach where you start off and looking and identifying, okay, what are the missing skill sets? What, what, are, what is the data literacy gap? And really build up on that and pave the way. Because when you come in and you start pushing out responsibilities and pushing out standards and processes that people need to adhere to, they have to be enabled. On you know, on, on, on the literacy, on the aptitude and capability side, but also on the tooling side. Now, in cases where domains want to, I don't want to say they want to go rogue and they want to start implementing things, usually it's a, a good sign. Now I'm being here optimistic. It's a good sign. They're excited. They're passionate. They want to go with it. I would leave the communication channel open and try and be very open and make, make it clear, right, you're going to be on your own in a lot of things. It's going to be, there might be a lot of manual things, which I did have at some point um, when I was introducing data contracts at a previous company, and there was still no way to automate that. So it was really a 
Google document and I told him, you know what, it, it might work for the short term, but on the long term, it's going to be a wish list and no one's going to be looking at it. You have no way to track it. It was, however, good for them because it kind of opened up communication channel between the producers and consumers and that worked obviously for a while. And then we had to wrap this up and, and really bring in the tooling. But I would leave the communication channel open and kind of control it and direct it in a way that whatever they do, do not completely oppose something that I know will be coming in the future where they will have to reduplicate their effort. So yeah, there could be a bit of manual work, but I don't want to jeopardize interoperability. So they can go on their own within within the boundaries that's, you know, whatever data product they're building, it's still going to be interoperable. Um, whatever work needs to be redone should be doable. That would be kind of my way to to go at it. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, there was this um, article that came out about um, Amazon moving from, and Amazon Prime Video moving from serverless to not serverless, and people are saying now it's a monolith, which it's not really, it's still microservices, but it's just no longer serverless and all this stuff, um, and how that works for data mesh or whatever. And I'm I, my view is if a domain can share their data appropriately, I don't care at the end of the day how they can do that. But Data Mesh gives them a path to learning how to do that. And if they want to put that into a monolith, fine. I Like, it doesn't end up mattering. But right now, we know that that doesn't work. And we may have that pattern emerge four or five years down the road. But first, we have to figure out how do we <laughs> how do we reliably share data? And that's not really happening. So, um so I would love to hear about how you um, you mentioned the central committee. Like, how do you think about the central committee and what should their actual role be in a data mesh implementation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I actually tend to want to move away from having the central committee. Uh, again, and this is what's exciting for me about implementing governance within a data mesh. I like to keep it as collaborative as possible. I mean, I know these central committees usually have uh, representations of the main stakeholders that you have. So I do know that this might be controversial and a lot of people are going to have a lot of strong opinions about that. But the focus is on pushing out um, kind of the, the, the bare minimum in terms of the standards the, the hardcore policies, but everything where you can bring in the people and they start designing the solution with you, this is where I try to think out of the outside of the box. So I'll give you an example to make this a bit more concrete. So at a previous company, I was looking at, we're looking at data quality. And at some point we're at a level where we had the data quality checks in place, the, the general notion of what quality means and the dimensions it was evangelized. And we were at the point where we're looking at how do we report on data quality and we wanted to standardize that across the board. So what I didn't want to do is have this conversation behind closed doors and come up with this reporting, the standard reporting that every team has to follow. I wanted the teams to come up with this design. So what I did was I launched a hackathon, a global hackathon, and it was basically a way for the teams to 
again, it was for me a way to evangelize data quality and talk about it. Uh, but it was a way for the teams and the analysts and the people who are actually going to be using these reports to actually give their input because they are the ones closest to the data. They are the ones who are consuming the data from other teams and will be looking at these dashboards. And at the end, obviously you had a winner and all of this incentives, but the report that was to be used was basically a combination of the best of all of these reports. And it's a win-win situation because one, I know for sure it's something that they're going to be using because it came from them and it's fitting their needs. And two, I know that everyone who was involved in this hackathon is actually going to be evangelizing the use of this report. And when it's pushed out, they're actually going to be pushing for it. So I tried to, everything that needs to be centralized, I know there's a lot of things that has to be, again, GDPR compliance. You cannot collaborate on that. It's, you know, it's it's there. We have to follow it to the T and that's it. But everything else where you can start bringing in the people in the conversation and let them drive the solution, that's where, uh, where that's where you find me. That's kind of uh, what I always try and, and aim to do. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. I kind of struggle a little bit with the central committee because you do want a group of people that are helping you to guide certain decisions, but that they're not the gate and that they're out there embedded in these domains and they're thinking about what should I take from this and bring that back to the kind of suggestion box, but that it's not the, um, you know, kind of overlord box or whatever, you know, when you have those, those movies and you have the judges and kind of the overlord box and they're like, you know, passing judgment versus like, giving guidance and they're they're more of the the spirit guides or something you know the uh the, the ghosts from star wars or, or, or whatever um so i think it's uh i think that's a useful kind of of structure to be like we have to make sure that we're enabling people to make the right choices and i think with that gdpr what you know somebody can't know okay could this actually be pii unless they know the domain or there's that conversation. And this becomes a real big challenge in um, uh, regulatory compliance in healthcare because one set, a data set may be anonymized and a second set may be anonymized. And then the second you put, you combine them, you can really de-anonymize about half of that stuff <laughs> of these people. And so like that, that type of thing is also a challenge, but that's where you start to say like, I'm going to trust you to understand, and this is where I also think consumers need to register their use cases with people and be like, is this compliant or, or not? But that, you know, okay, if somebody's using your data in this way, you're the one who gets to say whether that's compliant or not. And if you have a question, you have a group to go to, but you also could be like, you you know, it's like, oh, um, they're consuming people's phone numbers, but they're actually only consuming the first X number of digits. So or the country code or they're consuming like in the US um, where you are geographically is at least when you get the the phone number. It used to be, you know, hard landlines, you know, before cell phones. This was 100 percent the rule. But it used to be that like if you had this prefix or prefix on your um as your first three digits of your phone number, that meant you were in this area of the country. I knew exactly where you were. So if you were just doing very fuzzy location, okay, that's not, that's anonymized enough that I don't care versus, 
okay, you're pulling somebody's full zip and their last name and their year of birth. In the US, that gets you like, I think like 85 or 90% accuracy as to who this person is from just those three pieces of information that feel anonymized, um, especially, you know, if you've got a, na- a last name like Jones or something like that, that's so common. So, um, but yeah, so I, I wanted to, uh, to also lean into the question that we were talking about in the pre-call about there are a lot of governance folks that are really concerned about handing over control, right? When, when this happens, when data mesh starts to come through, um, you know, I've seen this with some of the data warehouse folks where they're like, we're the only one that knows well enough, then everybody's going to get themselves in trouble. You know, there's kind of the benevolent overlord of, of data aspect. So like, how do you think about having that conversation with data governance people that are kind of stuck in that, in that mindset of we need to be in control because that's the only way to make sure that bad things don't happen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm pretty happy you didn't ask me the question because I would have told you I'm not the right person probably to ask uh, because I I look at it from a completely different perspective, right? It's let me do what I do best and I'll outsource everything that other people do best. So I think it's a blessing, actually. <laughs> it's actually a good thing. Mm, I think it's not about losing control. I think we need to just look at it from a different perspective that we do exactly, like I said, we do what we do best, right? We focus completely on creating these blueprints, these standards, these guardrails. In my world, I like to do those, um, develop them not in isolation, but in a collaborative manner, so long as the use cases are right. And the implementation and in acting on that and giving this little leeway that the domains can work with so that they can make the right decisions that work for them. They are the only people who will be able to take that decision. And if you take that decision for them, well, guess what? Things are not going to be working well. You're going to be hearing a lot of complaints and uh, people are going to stop being cooperative and collaborative with you. And you're going to get this whole stigma again because you're sitting on this high chair and you're trying to push things that don't necessarily work on the ground because you're not in the middle, in the thick of it. So you don't necessarily see um, the actual problems. Granted, you have all the experience and extensive experience, and but at the end of the day, those who are closest to the data and to the friction points that you're trying to alleviate, they know better. And so for me, it's always a good idea take control of what you know best and everything else, you know, give it to those who are experts at it. Who knows? We're in the know. (laughs) I don't know if that will convince, uh, you know, governance people who are are still holding tights to the reins. Um, I still haven't had a discussion like that before. Might be very interesting. Let's see. Evil. And and I think, um, you know, it, 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 it makes sense that if you if mistakes are going to fall on you and you give control to somebody else, that's a concern, right? Because you're like, I have to trust that they actually know. But that's where you start to, um, you know, distributing ownership, you know, moving ownership left. Ownership means something more than than just the word, right? It, it means that you now have a responsibility over this. This is where the difficulty comes in, right? 
um, and this is what we talked about before, how much do you centralize versus how much do you federate? So you need to, and this is going to be dependent always on the use case. Um, in things that are very sensitive and where you know the repercussions are big and you do not want to take that risk, maybe you tighten up the control. In areas where you know, okay, this is fine, there is a, a lot of leeway for them to, and they cannot go wrong, then you can loosen up the, you know, the control and they can take charge of that. And I see a lot of areas where people can take a lot of control there and do their interpretations without jeopardizing, you know, the the interoperability of data products and data products being able to be reused. Um, but this is again circling back to this whole complexity and and the problem that comes with this federation or the challenge that comes with federation. Yeah. And and when you're thinking about pushing ownership left, you know, there there's the giving up control, but there's also the getting somebody to actually take ownership, you know, this has been a real challenge. What what have you seen there around getting people to actually, you know, if you've got tips and tricks, great, but I don't think anybody's really said, you know, everybody that has kind of talked about this has been saying, ah, it's kind of a one-on-one -on -one type of thing. Each, each owner is different. And so it is like you have to um, figure out their pain points or figure out their their leverage points to actually get them to do this because it's it just doesn't work otherwise. So I'd love to hear kind of how you think about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think I have a silver silver bullet answer to that. It's extremely different as well from from discussion to discussion. So what I found has always helped to a big extent is coming in and having a lot of clarity in terms of. What does ownership means? What kind of responsibilities will be coming their way? And before even talking about that, or before going on to the responsibilities and the work that that actually incurs, what kind of enablement we're actually giving them in terms of uh, tooling that they might require, uh, trainings on these toolings, best practices, how they're supposed to be using that, in terms of extra capabilities that they might need in order to take on this new responsibility, in terms of a top-down mandate where we're making sure that actually these teams have these data efforts prioritized within their roadmaps, within their OKRs, so they actually have the capacity and time to think about that. And when they are reporting on you know, what they've established or achieved throughout the year, that Actually, the data efforts are also one of the things that they should be reporting on. It's not this sign hustle that you need to do, but the business and when you report, this is the success part and the data is on the side. Um, so a lot has to be done on the enablement side. A lot has to be done and communicated in terms of, okay, this is exactly what you will be doing and this is the scope and it's quite bounded and it's clear what they do and what you can do, what you can support with that. And usually having these very transparent communications are, I, I have found, has been uh, to some extent successful. With a data mesh, again, the discussion becomes easier because it is going towards domain-driven ownership. And so once a company or organization decides, okay, this is this is the way we're going, everyone, hopefully, everyone should be on board, right? Um, because it's 
it's a whole transformation. You're reorganizing the teams around the data. And so this is something that becomes ingrained and they know, okay, this is coming and we have to take ownership because there's actually no other, no other choice here. Yeah. Well, and I, I liked what you were talking about there of teams have to be reporting on their data success, especially because I think that's also like you have to reprioritize and that you have to be like your KPIs for your teams are aligned to doing this data work. Because if that's not the case, then they're just doing it out of the goodness of their hearts and that doesn't last and that's not scalable and all of that, right? You have to you have to clear that space. I think that's really, really important that you're talking about that because it's that's where you need that executive sponsorship too, where it's not the, you as, uh, even though you're the director of data governance, I don't think you can go into the line of business heads and rearrange their KPIs and go, your, your KPIs are now this. I don't think you've got that. So you've got to have that ability to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, once you're going through such a transformation, you need to make sure that you are kind of launching a whole data culture and embedding, you know, data drivenness within the, 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 the key values of the company, if that is not already there, because it's a huge transformation and people have to be kind of prepared for that. Um, and a lot of work can can be done there uh, in terms of, I think, having a, a proper data culture is very important. Yeah. And, and um, so I, I think we could we can circle back on the non-exhaustive uh, checklist around data mesh governance. But like within that data, you know, to focus on the data cultural thing, because like, how have you seen doing that yourself or where, where are you kind of drawing inspiration from for how do you actually move that data culture instead of just you all take these trainings and that is it versus like, Hey, we're going to set this up so that this moves at the right pace that this, this does. So like, what are the tactics you're using? How are you doing that? But like, just and maybe if you can weave in as well the idea of like what advice would you give your past self, right? Like what 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 uh, anti patterns would you say avoid or anything like that? If you could be like, and I would really say like this is this is what we did at at HelloFresh or this is what I'm I'm heading down to do at Prima. But like here are the things that I would tell myself not to do or, or that I'm telling myself not to do this time. Or, you know, that kind of advice to others, but that you can kind of frame it relative to yourself. So it's not quite as scary to, to give advice. <laughs> this is a composite question. Let me see if I can kind of tie up all of these, uh, these together. So what I found is you have to always, in whatever data effort, data governance effort that you're pushing out, you have to focus on uh, the technology, the processes, and the people. And the people, last but not least, um, and I think we touched just slightly on it. We we said that people are either going to be enablers and they're going to run with it or they're going to be blockers. And so a big piece of the work that I always want to stress on and what I think is not really highlighted and uh, it's not uh, given a lot of focus is to turn these people um, to become enablers. And what I've seen that has worked in the past is to really drive a data culture. Now, obviously, a culture is a, it's a huge term. It's not going to happen overnight. You cannot do it just by um, implementing one thing. So you have to go at it from different fronts. One thing 
that I think we also touched upon is you want to make sure that you inject data um, and and data drivenness in your core values. So it has it kind of has to have a an executive sponsorship, right? It has to be within the within the DNA and the value of the company, and try and embed that within underlying structures that you have. So if you're onboarding, if you have an onboarding process, you know, put that into the materials so that when people come in, start joining the company, they know, okay, this is one of our key values, data-drivenness. What does that mean? Why is it important? Start identifying people at your company, the right people who can evangelize data efforts and socialize that, you know, give them support um, and allow them to, if they have ideas, to run with that. Open up communication channels. Now, these communication channels could be one-off events, but what I think is always helpful is having recurring events. So whether you are creating communities, for instance, that come together and have events and talk about you know, best practices, lessons learned, it could be around uh, particular tooling or you know, machine learning, learning models that are working for a particular use case, or it could be around particular key concepts. You could launch a podcast, for example, right? Interview people um, within your company who are driving a particular data initiatives and let them talk about, you know, what are what worked, what didn't work, what are the success, let's celebrate that. You know, you could also host people from, from external. So there's a lot of different ideas that you can do and a lot of um, recurring events that you can start to embed, to ingrain um, the principles that you're pushing for and the strategy and how you want to actually deal with the data. I think all of these elements and probably many, many more, these are coming now from the top of the head and from past experiences that I've had. This helps to ingrain the idea, okay, why is data driven this important and why are we doing what we're doing at the end of the day? And I think if, if I can interpret what you're saying there as well, uh, one one underlying theme there is about building the momentum to move forward instead of shove, right? Like you, when you think about getting the 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 big rock moving or whatever, that you're not running up and just trying to shove it. You're trying to build enough, you know, angular momentum or whatever the, the physics terms of, but you build enough pressure to get it moving and keep it moving instead of doing these kind of trying to Herculean effort of running up and trying to to do it once instead of like, hey, can we get everybody moving together in the same direction and pressing on this and kind of doing it, it that way. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ruining the uh, visual metaphor, but at the same point, I think a lot of what you're talking about underlying there is that you have to have intentionality about this being part of the culture, not that this is a Q1 KPI, that this is a part of our actual business strategy to make that part of the thing. I'm going to ask a really tough question and feel free to pass on it because it, it came to mind while you were while you were saying this. But um, one thing that's come up a lot is data engineer happiness because if you start to embed them in the domains, they don't talk to each other well enough. So you can kind of have the communities, but what I'm hearing is that just the communities doesn't satisfy them well enough. So do you have a framework that you're thinking about or that you would recommend and kind of whose job is it to maintain that happiness? Is it is it data governance's job, the data governance team's job to to 
make sure that the structure of the org maintains people feeling like they're engaged and that they want to stay and that they want to, uh, that they've got a good career path? Or is that more on, you know, the people team, the HR team and stuff like that? I just, again, it's it's a very difficult question, but it comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. I can understand that because you used to be working as a collective and you had your peers with you and you're all working more or less in the same you know, problems, and now you're isolated within a domain, right? So it's, and uh, what I've seen in the past is that you create these chapters and you have, they are embedded within the different domains, but still they are in touch and they still have these chapters and chapter leads. So you have an engineering manager still um, directing them and they get the chance to kind of exchange um, ideas and talk about what they are doing right now. What are they facing? So having these recurrent channels where they can actually communicate and talk about what is happening. I wasn't, so so the company that I was in that were, did that, I wasn't there long enough to see if that worked or not. I would have suspected it to work, but I understand that maybe it's still difficult. Um, I don't have a solution to that. It's probably, I wouldn't say it's an HR task nor governance task, but kind of if you have kind of a data central team that is pushing that, that is overseeing this transformation, I would say probably makes sense to check in with the data engineers once you, you know, push them out to the different domains, understand what is the feedback there and try and see and try out different things. You know, if the chapter doesn't work, then you have to say, okay, apparently they need much more connectivity and try to see if we can establish that. But I don't have a, a good yeah, silver bullet answer there. And that's why I told you that's a very difficult question. But I, I, I agree with you that, you know, I, I disagree heavily with Jamak. Um, and she kind of says it in, in a little bit tongue in chief, kind of not, but of um, do we actually need a chief data officer when we're doing data mesh? And I'm like, absolutely, because we need coordination points. We need somebody that that is overseeing the governance, but that is also overseeing all of these things. And, and uh, we recently had a panel um, where Yushin Sun from um, JP Morgan Chase was talking about what they found is there are some domains that are just too small to embed the data talent in. And so then there's becoming a central data team that those few domains leverage. Or if there's something where they have something that's really advanced, then they leverage some of the central talent and it is kind of a shared resourcing thing, but it's not as if it's the entire organization, the entire company. And so that's that slider back and forth. But that's where I think I, 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 that's kind of what I was getting from you too, is like you need somebody that is actually focusing on the strategy around data, even though the data strategy kind of gets split up in a lot of ways because you're like it's it's more at the domain level but that your strategy as to how are you going to tackle data and how are you going to do this right how do you how do you measure those sliders how do you think about um okay we've progressed really far in this and we found that this is a challenge how do we move back gracefully instead of you know trying to snap back of you know our data engineers are unhappy so you try and do this this big big change instead of that gradual thing i think that's that's what what was coming through from from my interpretation of you, but I I think that also makes a heck of a lot of sense. 
and that we have to not be, and and Jamak isn't. I'm I'm not, but and I I rarely find people in data mesh that have been doing it for more than a couple of months that become dogmatic about it because it's like no, it's just a lot of choices. You're just making a lot of choices. So I'd love to give you space to react to that, but I also kind of want to get to the um, the data mesh checklist. So I but I want to give you space to react to that because I just kind of uh, monologued for a bit. No, absolutely. I mean, I think I agree with you. I haven't I haven't heard your Max view on that, so I don't know what kind of context or how what are reasoning behind it. But being being on the second implementation um, and and shift towards the data mesh, I still cannot see how it can work without because maybe we're still at the stage where we need a lot of capabilities. Um, to ramp this up. Same thing with building a self-serve data platform. We need a lot of data engineers to build this up. And probably in the future, this is going to be, we're not going to need as many data engineers. But I still think that you would start off with a bigger central data team. And as the infrastructure is laid, this would become more lenient. But I would still think there has to be someone who has this overall view and that has the strategy in mind and can actually tweak and change things because, you know, new domains are going to be popping up, domains are going to be merging, and you need someone that has this overview and can actually, yeah, direct us in, in the right direction. Yeah, and and I, I wonder if we're going to see a role, and I don't think it's going to be called this, but chief strategy via data officer, right? Because there's a chief data strategy officer, and that's the chief data officer. But then you have somebody that's partnering at the C-level, like very, very closely to say, like, what are your initiatives that you need information on? And how do we start to get our the information in shape so you can make those decisions so that you're not asking the question today and we start to put together the data today of what we have? We start to say, what are the questions you want to answer tomorrow? It's it, but it's. I don't know. I you know I'm still pushing my data Sherpa model, and everybody's just saying no, don't do that. But you know, um, so I I would love to to get your idea around this. We were talking a little bit about it, and I don't know if you even have like a physical checklist of this, but like a non-exhaustive checklist, but of like what are the things that somebody who's early in their data mesh governance journey. Like where where are the things to watch out for, or what what are the things that you really think are crucial, and what do you think are the things that maybe get a lot more attention but aren't really that big of a blocker or aren't that that important? So I just kind of love to hear your your thoughts around that. I would love to have that checklist. If you've talked with anyone who has a checklist, <laughs> please share it with me. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, let me see. So. Having I I always try and break it down into having a bottom up approach, right? And we talked about this uh, already. Making sure that there's no any there's no data literacy gap. So look at what are the skills that you need to ramp up on and to where you need to do a bit of bridging there before you start ruling out, um, you know, whatever standards or whatever use cases that you're pushing out. 
On the other hand, the top-down approach makes sure that data efforts are being prioritized, right? So top-down, bottom-up. And in the work that you're doing, always focus on whatever use case you're pushing out and whatever guardrail standards or processes that you're pushing out. I always want to focus on three components, the, the technology, so make sure that the technology, the tooling is there. Obviously, if you're doing a POC, it's fine for things to be, you know, manual, but at some point you have to enable the people with the right tooling. The processes, automation first, try and avoid manual processes as much as possible and try to embed these processes as well to be triggered automatically so that things run more, more seamlessly and people can actually focus on the actual work because you're there to enable them, you're there to remove the friction points that they have with the data, you're not there to give them more overhead. And the people, right? This is the third component. Focus on the people. Um, make sure that the right capabilities are in place. If these capabilities are still not mature enough, you know, do a bit of hand-holding, help them until they reach that level. The other thing that I would recommend is following this collaborative approach, right? So let the people in from the very beginning, get a grasp of what are the current pain points so you can actually also ruthlessly prioritize the actual work that you're doing. Um, and this is very important to maintain your position and the data governance program, right? You want to show success. And success on the one hand for the business is you're actually enabling uh, data-driven decisions. You're reducing this time to actionable insights. And you can do that by removing these friction points. So look at the friction points that people are uh, reporting to you. Uh, maybe start off with a few low-hanging fruits, but then you need to dig, dig deep and go into the things that are more complicated um, and dig your teeth into that and see how you can actually make an impact because these are probably the ones with the really high impact where you can show value. Obviously, metrics play a huge role. It's gauge for your success. So always try and make sure that you can measure the what was the current state versus you know, the success or how things are progressing. This helps to report on your success. No, that's a whole other conversation. How to come up with these metrics is usually very complicated and difficult. I do know that I have first had experience with that. And I believe a lot of people have challenged with that. Um, again, if this is something that uh, you've heard the solution that I would be very interested to hear about, but having these metrics in place uh, is crucial because it also acts as a it's a feedback loop, so you can understand if things are working out or not, right? And, and allows you to tweak things and repair some of the things that, you know, maybe are not working as as well. These are kind of the some of the things that comes to mind um, when you're when you're launching. They're very general, uh, but again, and I guess people working within the governance field know that there is no one standard recipe is always depending on, you know, the the company, where it's at, how's the data landscape, what's the maturity level, um, and so on. So but I hope that this this is helpful. Well one thing that I'd wanna kind of circle around that that we've talked about throughout the conversation or the the words come up a lot is interoperability. And I think this is a good place to wrap on is people are really, really confused as to how to do interoperability, right? And I'm not asking you to give out a, a standard on the thing that you're going to read out some schema standard or something like that. But like, 
how important is this to, to absolutely nail at the start versus iterate towards versus like how, because this is the thing that people are so worried about because if you don't go for the interoperability, then data mesh just gives you high quality data silos. But if you focus so much on interoperability, you're like the data warehouse where everything interoperates, but it doesn't really mean a whole lot, or it's only designed to answer like four questions meaningfully. And then the other 500 questions that people have, it's like, eh, you can kind of get some information, but the data has been so molded out of shape as to its own context that it's not great. So I'd love to hear, you know, not solve interoperability for us, but like you're, you, you, you worked through interoperability for a while in, in a mesh journey. Mm -hmm. You're starting at that kind of starting gate right now. How would you tell people, how would you maybe give them a little bit of comfort that they'll get there, but also like what, what advice would you give them around interoperability? I think it's good to have that in mind and to be aware that this is a challenge and a problem and that you need to take care of it. But I don't think, I think it becomes problematic when it stands in the way of of doing the actual work and moving forward and producing data products. So it's good, it's healthy to the extent where you're trying your best, but you still are pushing for these thin slices and you're still trying to, you know, push out this first data product and then the second data product and try and iterate and, and try one piece at a time. I don't think anyone can have a go at it from the very beginning and it will work out. And I don't think it's also very helpful to go down that tunnel and start looking very deeply into that subject because then it will kind of derail or things are, the pace is going to be really done and you really want that momentum. You need that momentum. Um, so I think it's good to have that in mind. It's very healthy, but don't let that stand in the way of actually, you know, um, start creating these things or products and one step at a time, I would say. Yeah. It's, it's funny because the number of times that it comes up of global maximization versus local maximization of value. And you think about the global maximization of, well, are we globally maximizing for when we have a hundred data products two years from now, or are we, you know, should we really do that or should we locally maximize now and then we create evolution frameworks for our data products? So as we build out our interoperability, we kind of start to push them into that interoperability and it may be breaking changes and things like that for some of them, but that that's the price that we pay eventually, but that we don't do that just out of nowhere where we just go, uh, we don't care about breaking changes. We, we aren't flippant, but at the same point, we focus on learning how to do this first before <laughs> trying to get it perfect at the start. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to make it perfect, it's just not going to work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, we're all learning and we're all on this upward journey and I don't think anyone has it figured out yet. And yeah, it's, uh, and that's what I love about uh, your podcast, right? It's bringing this community together. It gives you a sense, you know, you're not alone. Uh, everyone's going through the same things and the same challenges. And uh, there's still a lot of open questions and there's uh, a lot of room to discover and uh, go down a lot of wrong paths. <laughs> so it's important, you know, to raise the flag and say, you know what? It's a dead end. <laughs> Don't try to go down that road. 
it's, it's funny. I think it's episode 25 or Mesh Musings 5 or something like that. But I say like the most important aspect of, of Data Mesh of anybody on the journey. And it's you're not alone. Like you, you aren't the only one or it's not just you, I think is what I called it, because it's like you're not the only one that's facing this challenge. A lot of people aren't used to admitting their vulnerabilities and their flaws. They're only used to telling, you know, winning stories with data versus like we missed this. We messed this up. We mm-hmm. we didn't figure this out very well at first, but now we got to good or we're still in that bad spot. Like and being able to be vulnerable and have those conversations gets you to good much faster but it's also just, it's not something where, you know, the number of times where people are like, you know, you said, what metrics should we, uh, should we do? I've been kind of thinking about, um, that Dave Coles and I did an episode on, um, fitness functions and how those are, are really helpful, uh, in general for measurements, but not the actual measurements. So, um, and apologies to anybody if they can hear that. Sounds like there's a saw going or something right in. Uh, over here and on my side. But um, so I wanted to to kind of uh, wrap up the episode on, on the question that I typically ask folks of, um, is there anything that we didn't cover? I know we covered a whole heck of a lot, but is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to or any way you'd like to kind of wrap up the episode, the, the kind of content that we've been talking about in general? Mm-hmm. I think we 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 covered the. Uh, I mean, obviously, governance is a huge topic, and data mesh. So I don't think any guest you have covers everything. Uh, but I think we covered some some decent ground. And I mean, like I said, everyone is learning, and I'm one of them, right? Um, and so I'm I'm pretty interested. If anything I said today sparked an idea, or even better, if anything I said today was controversial, or you have a very strong opinion about it. I'm absolutely happy to, uh, you know, jump on a call and, uh, you know, talk about it. Uh, this is how how we move forward and this is how we learn and get better at what we're trying to do. So feel free to get in touch with me on LinkedIn. I'm sure Scott will share my LinkedIn in the footnotes, I guess. Yep. Yep, for sure. And always happy to brainstorm and, and exchange not the winning stories, but you know, foremost, the not winning stories, the the failure, because I think these are more precious to share. Well, and, and getting to fast fail in data is important where failures were catastrophic failures before. And now we're in a space where they don't have to be. Which is fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Well, Kinda, thank you so much for, for spending the time here with me today. I really enjoyed the conversation. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Kinda Omari who's the Director of Data Governance at Prima. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. 
our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.